you will see some videos before my sermon uh, each week for the next uh, several weeks talking about different ministries of our church, maybe some things you didn't know, uh, but just different aspects of what God is doing here at First Baptist Church. You will be seeing those in the weeks to come. John Ashcroft was the U.S. Attorney General under George Bush from 2001 to 2005. Before that, he was the governor of Missouri. Here's his picture. You've probably seen him before. Maybe you've seen him on the news. John Ashcroft. His dad was an Assemblies of God preacher. Also was the president of Evangel College there in Missouri. And John Ashcroft said that his father taught him many truths through the years. But perhaps the greatest truth he ever taught him was this. He said, my dad used to say, John... Always remember, there are more important things in life than you. Every Sunday morning, we're going verse by verse through the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus. And Jesus taught his disciples how to live as his followers, how to live as citizens of the kingdom. And we're nearing about one-third of the way through the sermon now, and, and Jesus taught his disciples how to relate to other people. And he told them there are more important things in life than you. Read with me verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father. For he makes the sunrise, his sunrise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, so far in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has addressed how to enter the kingdom, the Beatitudes, 
our influence as salt and light, the motive behind our actions. He's talked about shifting our focus from the hands to the mouth and from the bed to the mind. And he's talked about remembering your place with your divorce, uh, your marriage vows, and with the oaths that you take. And so now Jesus talks in three sections about three topics, but all three topics deal with how to treat other people. All three sections leave you with the question, why? You read a section, he tells you what to do, and you go, why? Why on earth would anybody do that? And the answer is always implied at the expense of your pride. Because there are some things in life more important than you. So let's take a look. The first section, number one, is verses 38 to 42. And Jesus talks in this section about treating others with humility. Number one, treat other people with humility. Notice what he said, verse 38. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not return evil for evil. Someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek. If someone sues you for your tunic, give them your coat. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Why? To rid yourself of pride and to live in humility. Now, in the ancient days, retaliation was something very common in the Near, Near East. And here's how it worked. Somebody would do something to you. You would get them back. They would get you back. You would get them back. And it would escalate. You would do more. They would do more. You would do more. They would do more. You would die. The next generation would pick it up. It's like the Hatfields and the McCoys. And it just kept going generation after generation. And the vendettas kept getting worse. They did this and they did this and they did this and they did this. And so Jesus, or rather, rather God in the Old Testament, gave his people a different ethic. He said, look. Stop that. You are to go by what is the law of what's called lex talionis. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Someone hits you in the eye, you hit them in the eye back and leave it. Drop it. Don't escalate it. Leave it. Someone knocks your tooth out, you knock their tooth out and leave it there. Equal compensation for what happened to you. And that was revolutionary. That was in the Old Testament. It's revolutionary because no other, no other civilization did that. It was a way of stopping retaliation. But now, Jesus came along and went further. He said, somebody hits you in the eye. You don't get them back at all. Someone knocks your tooth out. You, you don't retaliate at all. When evil people do bad things to you, accept the injustice and move on. Because God will take care of you and God will take care of them. That's, 
That's amazing. Nobody ever taught that before. So, as believers, we are to live different. The world doesn't do that. We're different as followers of Christ. And then he gave three examples. First example was somebody strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek, let them hit the left one. <laughs> Why? To rid yourself of you. Live in humility. Now, have you ever wondered why he said the right cheek? Why not the left cheek? Well, in those days, as is today, most people were right-handed. So if a right-handed person comes up to you to slap you, they're going to hit you on your left cheek, right? Well, in biblical days, whenever they wanted to insult you, if someone wanted to insult you, they hit you with the backhand. The backhand was a greater insult than the forehand. So the backhand, if they backhanded you, it would be against your right cheek. And that was adding insult to the slap if it was backhanded. Now, most of the time people slap you, it's, it's to insult you, not to hurt you. If they wanted to hurt you, they'd punch you. It's to insult you. So the backhand was further insult. And Jesus said, somebody insults you, let them hit the left side too. Do you do that? Somebody insults you or your family members or your kids, or they injure them, you turn the cheek. revolutionary you know I've often wondered if Jesus did that I'm, I'm sure he did he practiced what he preached I wonder if when they arrested him and they took him to the hall to beat him and they and the Bible says they struck him with their fist I wonder if they struck him he'd turn the other one and struck this one I, I wonder if whenever they were crucifying him and they took his hands and they put nails in them and they drove nails through this one if he voluntarily offered this one what he preached. And then he gave a second example. If somebody sues you for your undergarment, give them your outer garment. Now, the Levitical law says you could not sue somebody for their outer coat. That's mentioned in uh, Exodus 22. Verses 26, 27, mentioned Deuteronomy 24, 13. And that is to protect people. There's very harsh conditions over the Middle East. Clothes were important. We don't really sue people for their clothes. And why you would want to sue somebody for their undergarments, I have no idea. But they did in those days because clothes were valuable. So, but you, whenever you sued somebody, you could sue them for everything except their outer coat, and that was so everybody would have protection from the harsh elements by law. And Jesus said, somebody sues you, you give them your coat as well. It's not required. Give them more. 
be willing to offer even the outer garment. No retaliation, no hard feelings. And folks, whenever you do that, people begin to realize Jesus' followers are different. They live by a different ethic. You, you can't hurt them. You, you slap them, they turn the other cheek. You sue them, they give you more. They're different. And then he gave a third example. Let me kind of set the background for this. Whenever Jesus in the New Testament, the Jews were under the control of the Roman government, and the Romans hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Romans. And the, and the Romans had a law that if a military officer was in public and he, he didn't want to carry his own baggage, his own personal luggage or, or any of his gear, if he didn't want to carry it, he would just take the end of his spear and tap the, a Jew on the shoulder and wouldn't, no words would be exchanged. Jews knew exactly what that meant was. And that meant what meant, if I, if I tap you on the shoulder with my spear, you have to take my luggage and my gear and everything that I have and you have to carry it one mile. And the Jews hated it. Oh, they were so frustrated. They were exasperated. And so they would, they would feel the spear on their shoulder. They, you were now under compulsion. That's what they called it. The spear on your shoulder. And they would get angry. And they'd pick up the bags of the Roman soldiers. And they'd carry them one mile, seething all the time, angry, muttering under their breath. And one mile and not one step further, throw their bags down and leave. And they'd walk up and tap another Jew on the shoulder and make them carry it a mile. And the Jews hated it. And Jesus said, if you feel that spear on your shoulder, you don't carry it one mile, you carry it two miles. Why? Because there are more important things in life than you. And as a follower of Jesus, you're different. So, when you're met with hatred, do nothing. Treat others with humility. Here's the second section, verses 43 to 48. Second of all, number two, treat others with symmetry. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. Treat others with symmetry. Jesus said, you have heard, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Now, I, I, I try to do that. Every single day, I have my prayer list of what I pray for, and I pray for those people who don't like me. I know it's hard to believe, but there are people out there that don't like me. As pastor, you make decisions, and sometimes it all, everybody's not happy with those. And there are people over 18 years that don't like me. So every day, I have a list by name. And I pray for them that God would bless them. Because it's what he told me to do. Because whenever I do that, I'm like God. 
Because God loves people who don't like Him. Symmetry, I'm like Him. Now, did you notice Jesus said, you have heard, he didn't say you've read, he said you've heard, love your enemies, I mean, yeah, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. The Bible doesn't say that. Leviticus 19, 18 says, love your neighbor, for I am the Lord. That's all it says. It never says hate your enemy. Nowhere in the Bible ever does it say hate your enemy. That's why he said you didn't read it, you heard it, because the rabbis added a corollary to Leviticus 19.18. And that corollary was, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. The Bible never says that. So Jesus said, you have heard, love your neighbor, hate your enemies. I'm telling you, love your enemies. Why? It doesn't make sense. To rid yourself of pride. And you're like God. God loves his enemies. In fact, Romans tells us, before you got saved, you were an enemy of his. And he loved you. And he died for you. So whenever you love your enemies, you're like God. Verse 45, he sends rain on, the, on both the evil and the good, sunshine on both the evil and the good. James says the same thing. God doesn't pick out Christians and bless them only. He sends rain and sunshine and air and breath to even the evil people that hate him. Both. And then he asks a good question in verse 46. If you love those who love you, even tax collectors do that. Tax collectors, remember who they were? Oh, they were hated by the Jews. Jews hated a lot of people, didn't they? They hated the tax collectors because tax collectors were Jews who started working for the Roman government. And they were cheats. And they took your money from you. And they took more than, they, than was required. And they stole from you. And they hated tax collectors. And Jesus said, if you're nice to people who like you, even tax collectors do that. You're not doing anything different. And if you greet those who greet you, lost people do that. So folks, today, if you like people who like you, that's not Christian. That's normal. But if you love your enemies, that's different. And that's Christian. But you know what we do? You'll hear a sermon and you say, and I'll say, you need to love everybody. And you go, oh, I love everybody. And you start thinking in your mind of people you like. I mean, you okay, uh, I'll think of people in my Sunday school class, think of people at church, think of my friends. I love everybody. What about those people that don't like you? You've got them too. I'm not the only one. What do you do with those? You love them? That's what makes you like God. Not loving people who love you. Now, 
It's interesting because verse 48, he closes this section with a verse that has made people scratch their heads. Verse 48, look at chapter 548. You must be perfect because your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, hold on a second. Wait, hold on a second. This verse is misunderstood. It's misquoted. I heard it misquoted Thursday of this week. I hear it misquoted all the time. People think when they hear that, oh, I've got, I've got to be sinless. God's sinless. He's perfect. I've got to be perfect. I've got to be sinless. And so how on earth can I be perfect like God's perfect? Because nobody's perfect. But that's not what he's saying. He is not talking in a moral sense. He's talking in a functional sense. Let me explain. The word that's translated there perfect in the New King James, King James, ESV, the word perfect, it's the word teleos in Greek. It's really a fairly common Greek word, teleos. Some interpret it perfect. That's really not the best translation. Other translations interpret teleos as complete. Others interpret it mature, but it, it literally means doing what you're designed to do. Now, that's a little different, isn't it? You do what you're designed to do as God does what He's designed to do. Just as God does who God is, you do who you are. God isn't selfish. You don't be selfish. God isn't prideful. You don't be prideful. God loves his enemies. You love your enemies. God does good to those who hate him. You do good to those who hate you. And whatever you do, you're doing the same as God, living in symmetry with him. Now go to the third section. Chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, treat others with subtlety. Let me explain that. Treat others with subtlety. Verse 1, beware of practicing your righteousness before others to be seen by them because you'll have no reward from God. Now, what's interesting is the Greeks in this day, they love the theater. They love plays and they love productions. And so there are a, a number of, of word, Greek words that are used in the New Testament that are taken from the Greek tragedies or the Greek plays. And here's one of them. Whenever it says to be seen of them, don't practice your righteousness to be seen by everybody. It's the word theomai, which came from the theater. And it literally meant to watch somebody carefully on stage. So you're out there in the crowd, and these actors and actresses, oh, they're going through every motion, every movement, every facial expression, and people are watching every move they make. And that's the word he uses. Don't do your righteousness where everybody's watching you because you have your reward if you do. God will not reward you. So he said, when you give to the needy, don't sound a trumpet like the hypocrites do in the synagogues. Boy, he was taking a shot at the Pharisees. Now Jesus is starting to come hard against them. Because here's what they did. Listen to this. In the temple, they, they would have the worship services like we do. 
rather than passing the offering plate for them to give money, they had the plates at the front, and people would file by and put money in the plate and go back in the receptacles and go back to their seats. Some churches still do that. The receptacles that collected the money looked like a trumpet, and here's why. They would have people stationed right beside the, the, the offering box with a trumpet. And if somebody came by and they gave an extra large amount of money in the offering, the dude would blow the trumpet. Everybody look. Wow, look at that amount. And they literally did that. Now, somebody pointed out to me in the 845 service when we left today that the deacons stand and collect money as we leave, and the guy standing over here is our trumpet player in the orchestra. We didn't do that on purpose. <laughs> but they did that. Can you imagine standing there with the trumpet, people following, following, following by, and they put in money and just stand there, and somebody puts in a lot. Oh, wow, they blow the trumpet. Everybody looks. That's nuts, isn't it? They did that. And Jesus said, if you do that with your righteousness, whatever applause you get, that's it. Enjoy it. Because your Father gives you no reward for that. Instead, whenever you give, Jesus said, just do it without anybody else knowing. Now, we as believers, we, we like to help people, but we like for other people to know we help people sometimes. Well, you know, so-and-so uh, needed a little help, and, you know, uh, God gave me a little extra, and I'm glad to help. I mean, I love, I love helping people, and you love telling me about it too, don't you? Got your reward. We said, good, great. The Father ignores it. Jesus said, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. It's kind of hard. They work together. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. Just do it to help people. You don't have to tell everybody. In fact, he said, verse 4, let your giving be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. The word secret there is the word kryptos. We get the word cryptic from it. Let your giving be done cryptically. Because God's watching you. Whenever you give inwardly of the soul, not with a trumpet, God is watching and he will reward you. Why? To rid yourself of pride. You know, folks, it's vitally important how we treat other people. I know sometimes in the Christian life we, we downplay that aspect of it. We, we, we emphasize reading our Bibles, and we emphasize praying, and we emphasize coming to worship, and we emphasize going to Sunday school, and but all the time in loving people that are like us and that we like, but yet all the time we retaliate when we get a chance, we hold grudges, we don't forgive certain people because we don't want to. 
And Jesus told his followers in this sermon, you can't do that. You've got to watch how you treat other people. Because that's what makes you different. I know some of you have read the story of Corey Tinboom. She, um, she was raised in the Netherlands during World War II. Her family helped hide Jews and smuggle them uh, during the Holocaust to keep them from being discovered by the Nazis. She wrote a book about her experience entitled The Hiding Place. Here's a picture of it. Corey Ten Boom is there on the left. And The Hiding Place referred to a room in her room. It looked like a wall, but they had knocked the wall out, and they could hide six Jews in her room behind the wall. And they would smuggle them out to where the Nazis couldn't get them and kill them. And they did this Jew after Jew after Jew. And finally, the Nazis bugged their house and found out they were doing it. And the family was placed in prison. Corey's father died in prison. Corey and her sister Betsy were placed in Ravensbrück concentration camp. Betsy died a few days before she was released, and Corey survived. She wrote the story and published it in her book. She said, we were treated inhumanely by the Nazi guards at Ravensbrook. Corey and Betsy were strong followers of Jesus, and they held Bible studies in the prison, worship services in the prison. Many prisoners got saved, but because of that, they were treated even more harshly by the, by the German guards. And she writes in the hiding place, there was one particular guard who abused Corey and her sister Betsy repeatedly. He beat them. He molested them. He would watch them undress. He would watch them bathe. He would watch them with all of their private functions going to the restroom. And she said, we grew to hate this guard. And it was increasingly hard to forgive him. Just a few days before Corey was released, Betsy died. Her sister, they were very close. Corey was released, and she said, I tried as best I could to put this guard out of my mind. What he looked like, his gaze, his touch. I just put it out of my mind best I could. After her release, Corey would speak in churches and at rallies about her faith and about the experiences that she had. And this went on for a number of years. And several years later, she was at a rally in Munich, Germany. She gave her testimony. When the service was over, a man came up to her and said, Corey, and it was the guard. He extended his hand. He said, Corey, I'm grateful for your message today. And to think, like you said, that Jesus can wash away all of our sins, even someone like me. And she said, I stood there paralyzed. I just stared at his outstretched hand. I couldn't touch him. 
And she writes on page 233 of the book, she said, I begin to quickly pray, God, I can't forgive him. I can't. I can't touch him. God, forgive me. But I can't forgive him. And she said, as soon as I said that, I, I felt a hand come up and reach out. And it was my hand, and I grasped his. And she wrote, as soon as I did, something incredible happened. I felt a current from my shoulder, through my arm, through my hand to his. And I forgave him. And the love I had for that guard overwhelmed even me. It matters how you treat people, folks. That's what makes you different. Because there are some things in life more important than you. Father, I want to thank you today for your word. It's a hard passage. God, sometimes the way we treat others, we just kind of overlook it and say, Lord, I love you, but I don't love them, and we go on. And regardless of what they've done to us, may we love, may we forgive, and may we be like you. So, Lord, help us even this week to live the Sermon on the Mount in the way we treat other people. In Jesus' name, amen.